Welcome to the Trumpet Call Podcast. I'm your host, John Martin, and we're here with Tom Burke. And uh, Tom, you're up in Detroit leading the city, leading city work leaders, uh, but you were with the Air Force for many, many, many years. So thanks for joining us. Um, this isn't the first time you've been on this. So, uh, but I, I had a question. I, I've heard you say, I'm going to have to ask you how to say it, one of the missing parts of our calling, or how, how do you say that with a long siding? Oh, yeah, I think of it as the uh, the hole in our calling or the void in our vision that we only do that fourth contribution of alongsiding kind of in a responsive way when people ask for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, well, any of us would drop anything if one of our uh, folks that we've mentored and discipled uh, needs our help and reaches out, but we're not very proactive about it. And we think of it as a gravy more than a or a side thing rather than a main thing, I think. Mm. Okay, so that's what we're going to be talking about today, the uh, alongsiding. And Tom, I, I'm excited to hear your wisdom on this as you challenge all of us in this fight to not just, I think the spirit of this is not just looking at what's right in front of us. But first mm-hmm. off is, uh, what is alongsiding? Yeah, well, I have to back up from that. It's c- called the fourth contribution because our international brothers and sisters and the navigators where movements are happening in countries where there's very few navigator staff, they helped us crystallize this, particularly Mike Trenier uh, and a few other folks that ministered in Africa, that there's four contributions that are essential to a disciple-making movement. The first is pioneering, that's starting new works. The second is uh, local laborers or local everyday disciple-makers, that's, that's crucial. The third is a local leader people who are actually leading groups of disciple-makers in a disciple-making community or a disciple-making team. And then the one we're talking about today, the fourth contribution, alongsiding. Um, really, alongsiding is very aptly named because it's simply coming alongside people, a disciple-maker or an aspiring disciple-maker to help them keep going. It's like when you were a kid, John, and you played with an old tire. You could get it rolling fast enough that it could roll by itself next to you for a while and you just run next to it. And all of a sudden it starts to wobble and you realize, well, it needs another little uh, push to, to get going and stay stay from falling over. And I think all of us are like that. We need someone to do that. So that's why I think it's called the long siding. That's cool. That's uh, that. I feel like that's dating yourself, but um, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's only because it is. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm sure if you've seen that in the old western, some people doing that stuff. <laughs> no, but that's and, and, but it's a great example. And uh, I promise to I promise to update my illustrations <laughs> next time we talk. <laughs> okay, so how do you do it? Why do you do it? Could could you give us the uh, some more stuff on that, Tom? Yeah, I, I think it's as simple as it is indispensable. Um, folks can be involved in a navigator ministry as life goes on, but they don't always have to be involved with the navigators to make disciples, to keep making disciples, to live out our calling, our vision. But the great majority of us would fade if we're completely isolated from like-hearted fellowship with those who share that vision. Hmm. Um, They need to be encouraged to keep doing what's not celebrated or even recognized in many parts of the world. Um, And it can be done by a Zoom video call, by text, by email, by letter, or by visit. There's all different ways to do this, but just a touch to keep them encouraged. It's personal and it's prayerful. 
Um, they need to be listened to and encouraged. They need to process their challenges and regain their perspective and rekindle their passion. You probably experienced it, John, you talk to somebody like that. And mostly you ask questions and listen and pray while you're listening. And afterwards they tell you, thanks for helping me figure this out. You think, I think I gave any advice, um, <laughs> but that's just something the way God made us that we need that. They, the one thing I would say, John, is they don't need much from us. It seems like most of them can keep going for months from the wind that God puts in their sails from one conversation. Hmm. They don't need a lot from us, but they can't have nothing from us. We can't do the wind them up and let them go approach. Mm-hmm. I think maybe that's one thing that I, I can feel personally is, uh, oh, well, man, uh, you know, I, I just don't feel like I'm able to have that same relationship with somebody that I did when they were here. I mean, if I meet mm-hmm. with somebody when they're here week after week after week, that means I have to do that with these people that have mm-hmm. left. I just, I, I don't have the time for that. I don't know how I would do that. So do you have any thoughts mm-hmm. on that? Yeah, when they're one of the folks that God has led you to focus on locally, or even, you know, beyond local through technology, um, that's intensive, but alongsiding is occasional. It's very different. The cool thing is if you've ever had a relationship like that with somebody, it feels like even if you haven't talked to them for a year, you can take up where you left off, the intimacy, the trust, the safety, mm-hmm. the realness is all still there. It's a, you've probably experienced that. Mm-hmm. So we can get right right into the nitty gritty and talk about what's really happening. And uh, the heart tie lasts a lifetime, even when we only talk occasionally. So mm-hmm. that's the difference in my mind. Wow. Yeah. And I, I mean... Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. I was just talking to a guy yesterday and man, a half hour conversation, which actually got cut short, but man, both of us were moved to move to tears just being together. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that great? I, I often think John, after I hang up from a call like that or meet somebody, you know, when I'm on the road for lunch or whatever, I walk away thinking, well, if they got half as much out of that as I did, they're <laughs> going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So what would be missing without this alongsiding, you know, if we just decided, Hey, we're going to decide we're committed to the people in front of us. And when you leave, Hey, we'll try and coach you on that process, get involved with Mm -hmm. a church. You have the scriptures. What would be missing from that? Well, as I already kind of alluded to John, uh, I think perspective and passion fade in isolation. Um, for most, our vision is as elusive. That is hard to hang on to and to, to keep central in your heart and mind as it is contagious. So uh, when no one around us shares or affirms it, we can quit intentionally giving our lives away. The first Thessalonians 2.8 thing, we loved you so much, we didn't just preach content at you, we shared our lives. And when nobody is encouraging that or has that heart with us, it can fade and we just become quote unquote good church people. Nothing wrong with being a good church folk. I hope you, I hope everyone is, but it, it's a, it falls way short of what God's called us to live like if Mm -hmm. this passion and this vision has infected your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and if you're listening to this, you should go back and listen to Tom's talk on the fifth mark of a disciple maker, because in that time you were talking about how it's such a slow process to make disciples. So that's discouraging in itself. Never mind if everyone around you is just talking about getting involved with the next Bible study. Right. What are some key passages that have really motivated you, Tom, in alongsiding? Well, I do have one I'm going to mention specifically, but man, to me, this fills the narrative of the New Testament, particularly in the book of Acts uh, and beyond. Uh, 
particularly the part of the book of Acts that shows what Paul and his team did. They tell stories of them doing first pioneering and then alongsiding in multiple cities uh, in the New Testament. Um, you know, it's hard to construe of Paul ever specializing in the second or third contribution unless you do it by conjecture in Antioch. But even if he did that there, if he was just a local disciple maker, laborer, or a local leader, it was a pretty short period of time. And he went into this mode that I think it would be good for navigators to think of as primarily they're either doing pioneering a new work or they're doing alongsiding as what they major on. Um, also, of course, every epistle in the New Testament that Paul wrote is pretty much an alongsiding epistle. <laughs> He's writing to some people that came to faith uh, and got in the, in the battle with Jesus. Uh, to keep them going, to keep them encouraged. Um, and he made repeat visits to many of those places for the same reason. Um, doesn't ever say when they re revisit a place that they tried to do the same thing again with the pioneering. They believed the work was going to expand through the people they had left there, the, the foothold, you might say. Mm -hmm. um, and he spent all those second trips, as, as Barnabas said to him once, let's go back and see how the brothers are doing and encourage them. Mm -hmm. uh, and strengthen them and that and that they did so a favorite particular passage though you did ask for one for me is first thessalonians 2 11 and 12 paul says to the thessalonians you know we treated you as a father would encouraging you comforting you and urging you to live lives worthy of the gospel worthy of god actually excuse me mm. who calls you into his kingdom and glory so i think of encourage you know that that's kind of a firm yeah you're doing it good good job and then Comfort, uh, that's when it didn't go well. <laughs> they need a little bit, they need a little bit of healing from their failed or less than stellar effort. Mm. And then urge is, I guess, a stronger form of encourage, like exhort, like, come on, man, you can do this. Um, so yeah, I think of those three factors in in doing alongsiding, they're, mm. they're all in there. Right. Yeah, it's yeah, it's motivating. It's crazy to be a person just as we're trying to be committed to everything that God would have for us in the scriptures and that it would be just so easy to leave out the principle of these these letters that we study or the whole book of Acts being this running narrative of these journeys over and over again. How do you say no to the more immediate things that you do, these, these intensives, in order to be an alongsider? Yeah, that's the challenge, isn't it? Um, you know, and sometimes I haven't. Um, for most of my uh, navigator staff experience, I must sadly admit that something that Bob Adgate said to me a couple of years ago was true of me in hindsight, and that is that I was more interested in generating ministry than I was in generational ministry. Um, in other words, I'd gotten to a point where I thought the measure of my success or the focus of my efforts was to run a good navigator ministry. Uh, see people come to Christ, see people become disciples, see some people become disciple makers. And that was the beginning and end of my job. Um, the challenge is that, you know, just as the world around us doesn't hardly take notice of, let alone celebrate what matters most to us in local ministry, which is deeply building into a few. Similarly, even in our navigator world, I think it's more tangible and celebrated sometimes by our donors, our fellow staff, ourselves, or even our leaders to kind of run good navigator ministries than it is to spend largely invisible and seemingly inconsequential time with an individual or a couple just to help them keep going, keep doing this for a lifetime. Um, so 
you know, it, it's just so hard not to do that. So I have had to recently build it into my schedule, John. Right now, mm-hmm. we can only give about 10% of our time to a long siding, which if you do the math, what is that? About two or three hours a week. Mm-hmm. But just that little bit of intentionality with the hope that someday soon I can major on it has borne fruit as we've gotten in touch with folks who never have initiated with us. They've given money to our ministry and uh, sometimes send us encouragement, but they've, they've not the kind of people who've asked for a long sighting. And up till now, only the people who asked for it have gotten it from me. Mm-hmm. But there's been about six couples that we've gotten with by, by Zoom or by uh, personal appointment, because I'm on the road a lot. All I got to do is see, hey, who lives around there? And I can, I can see them without making a special trip. And it's meant the world to them and been giantly encouraging to us to feel like we're restoking the fire. So I have to leave room for it. And like I said, we're only spending about 10% of our time on it right now because of the role I have with the cities. But um, we look forward to the day, hopefully in the not too distant future, when we truly can major on that. And my conviction, John, one last thing on this, is the longer a navigator staff has been on staff, the higher and higher percentage of their time should be on this rather than just generating new ministry. Um, Because think about do the math. You're intensive with a guy for four years or a guy or a gal, and then you do the wind them up and let them go method and nobody encourages them and they quit. Isn't it more significant to keep them going for the next 35 or 40 years than it is to generate a new soon to be abandoned disciple maker? That's Mm -hmm. the way I kind of think of it. Right. Yeah. Those are strong, strong words, Tom. And I really appreciate that. And it's cool to think that this isn't, you know, if somebody is just starting out, you know, thinking, hey, I can I can I can help somebody grow. Jesus has empowered me to make disciples that there's not necessarily a call for them to just, you know, spend 50 percent of their lives trying to follow up with people. This is kind of a natural progression of life. Yes. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah, in fact, John, I would mention another thing if I could. Sorry. Um, yeah. I showed you a one page document that I put together to discuss this with um, our city directors not long ago. And it's written in an intentionally, you know, cryptic and somewhat provocative way to, to stimulate that particular discussion. But if it's worthy of, uh, of of doing so, feel free to put that in the in the show notes, uh, as well as my phone number. I'm willing to talk with folks about this. And in that, there's a little uh, chart that I made to show like the progression of the longer you're on staff with the navigators, the more along siding and the less raising up new disciple makers you probably should do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. That, that is really good. When I think of alongsiding, I think what first comes to mind is buying a camper or like um, having a gold <laughs> status with the airlines because you're just flying everywhere. You're traveling. You're doing these trips everywhere. And I think, man, that's a lot of money. Do you, I mean, how, where are you at with that, Tom? Is that how alongsiding looks? No, most of the time it doesn't. Uh, as I kind of alluded to a little bit earlier, um, most of the alongsiding that Ann and I do, John, is not via a physical trip. Um, we do some in-person trips with longtime disciple makers in our immediate geography. You know, like it's not a big long drive or flight to see them, uh, or maybe they even live right in the same town with us. We, we continue to do a long siding with them, though they've long been at it. Um, but it can be by text, by email, by, you know, I, there's, I never could have imagined this 20 years ago, but there's people right now that I would say I'm discipling or alongsiding 
through text. We talked multiple times per day by text with an occasional phone call salted in. But that said, a trip can be a vital silver bullet in your belt, so to speak, when it's necessary, especially like we've made trips to respond to a crisis that threatens to take uh, an individual or a couple out of the battle mm-hmm. if they don't get help to break through that. And man, I'll drop anything and pay any price to do that. But most along siding is, uh, you know, incidental through those other means that are long distance. And I would say this too, I'd suggest that we think of along siding not in terms of how much it costs to be with them for just such a short time, but how little it took to help them keep doing this for the rest of their lives. That's great. Yeah, it's motivating. I mean, I'm excited to do that, Tom. <laughs> um, yeah. Would you say, I mean, we talked about this chart, but overall, uh, over the course of somebody's life, would you say everyone's called to be an alongsider? Like nobody has this kind of like, well, you know, that's not really my calling. Yeah, yeah. Let me let me answer one thing I forgot to say in the previous question and then answer that question. And that is that we don't need to be the lone source of encouragement for these folks. Sometimes we'll find out that in the same geography, two navigator trained or otherwise they became disciple makers are there kind of struggling alone and they don't know each other. And it's not enough usually to send them a text and say, hey, there's another guy there, another gal there, and here's their phone number. But if I visit them and then kind of take them by the hand, so to speak, by bringing them out to dinner or lunch together, and hopefully catalyze a relationship because peer encouragement and accountability and coaching is more powerful than us staying the linchpin and the one and only source of encouragement for them. So I forgot mm-hmm. to mention that, but as to whether we're all called to be alongside her, I would say it this way, and nobody has to agree with me, but I feel if you're called to focus on making disciples who make disciples, then I believe strongly that you are called to spend some portion of your time alongside mm-hmm. That doesn't mean everyone's called to major on it, but I don't believe anyone should feel excused from it either. They need mm-hmm. to do alongside him, especially the longer they've been doing this. And there's more and more disciple makers that God has raised up through them scattered around. Mm-hmm. Seems like a lot of it is just the discipline. Like there's a discipline aspect of being alongside her. It's not everyone. I mean, I don't know. I'm just speaking to myself. I know I should talk to people that I love dearly that I've invested my life in. But honestly, I just I, I kind of just let the schedule just take its course instead of what you talk about yeah. building that in. So it seems like it's just this necessary discipline, maybe more than anything else. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is at least a schedule discipline. Mm-hmm. For me, it's a game changer if I say every Monday morning I'm going to spend on a long sighting, whether that's praying, writing letters, calling, text, whatever, you know thinking about who I might need to visit the next time on my next trip, who's around there that I could mm-hmm. encourage from, from our days past. So there is discipline in the schedule, the actual doing it. I think most navigators like me would find it a desire and a delight. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's not a sacrifice. It's a joy. Um, you know, I think if Paul and his team weren't so committed to this contribution, our new Testament would look very different. And uh, in mm-hmm. fact, the gospel wouldn't have advanced like it has over the centuries. Mm-hmm. Um, the natural pull of a nav staff um, oozing into contributions number two or three is strong, but I want to say something. It's kind of provocative. It might be controversial, but at least I can blame it on someone else. Uh, <laughs> Lauren San Lauren Sani again said said one time, the idea of being a full time disciple maker. In other words, you're being paid by the navigators through your donors. 
just to be a professional disciple maker is an illegitimate occupation. Hmm. Uh, and I, I believe that. Um, I, I still agree with that. I heard him say that like 40 years. I think that is that may not be a popular statement, but it's a very important and true one. I think of Sean Connery's character, speaking of dating myself with my illustrations uh, <laughs> in the movie, The Untouchables. Anybody who knows that movie all the way through, his character kept saying to Kevin Costner, who was Elliot Ness in the movie, what are you prepared to do? <laughs> and I kind of think of that when it comes to alongside me, like, what am I prepared to do to help these people keep going and not fade and quit and get discouraged? Excellent. Man, so good. Okay, so wrapping it up, what would you say? Or where do we need to start? What are some resources that would help us? Yeah, a lot of this is repetition of what we've already said, John, but uh, first build it into your schedule. Decide how much of your time you should spend and block that off. Like I said, if it's Friday afternoons or Monday mornings or whatever it's got to be, if you're a full-time navigator or even a part-time navigator staff, you're about helping disciple makers to keep making disciples for the rest of their life. So build it into your schedule with an eye toward it gradually becoming a larger portion of that schedule as you get older. That would be ideal. You'd be surprised how little they need from us, as I said earlier, yet how vital that contribution is to keep them steaming ahead as disciple makers. Call, ask a few questions, listen deeply and prayerfully, affirm, coach as needed and desired, and pray with them. That's it. Hmm. There's, there's no other magic competencies or gifts or talents that you have to have. And if anybody, as I said, wants to interact with me, John, put my phone number in the show notes. I'd be glad to talk with them. I would say as a caveat, if I don't have your number in my contacts, I won't answer. So make sure you leave a voicemail so I know I should call you back. But I'm available even if all they want to do is yell at me for my heresy. <laughs> well, I don't think anyone's going to be yelling at you. I mean, I guess I can't guarantee that. But Tom, this is great <laughs> stuff. I, I, I appreciate the spur to really take seriously having a generational ministry and being committed to helping these people. We're, you know, It's not about these machines continuing to make cranking out numbers. It's about these people we love helping them grow. So I, I appreciate the spur, Tom, and I think all of us do so. Thanks so much for tuning in, and uh, thanks again, Tom, for your uh, just loving us well and giving us your wisdom and uh, passing that on. So we'll see you next time. <laughs>